Jonah chapter 3, we'll start at verses, verse two, chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and we'll read through uh, verse 4 of chapter 3. So verse 10 of chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, then cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We'll stop there. So, this short little book is only four chapters long. But in my opinion, chapter 3 has to be the greatest of all these four chapters. Now, you might think Jonah being swallowed by a fish was incredible and how God preserved his life and later threw him up on dry land. And it is an incredible miracle. I would say the miracle that takes place in chapter 3 is even greater. I would even go to say that the miracle that takes place in chapter 3 is the greatest miracle in Scripture. Now, to clarify, outside of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, those are in their own category. Those are the most incredible and best miracles in Scripture because when you put your faith in those, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. So nothing can trump tramp those things. But I think the greatest miracle besides those is here in chapter 3. I think it's better than when God slowed the rotation of the earth down in Joshua chapter 10. I think it's greater than Daniel's in the lion's den. I think it's greater than David taking a sling and slaying Goliath. And you might be wondering, what is the miracle that takes place here? Well, a whole entire city, a massive city with a lot of people that are evil and wicked get transformed and changed by God's power and His Word. What are the events that led up to that? Well, check it out in verses 1 through 4. We see in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is the first event. God appeared to Jonah a second time. And this points out two things. Number one, God is determined to get his message to the people of Nineveh. He is determined to see them saved. But the second thing is Jonah's second chance. Jonah gets a second chance. And a second chance is an opportunity to try something again after failing the first time. Wouldn't you agree that Jonah failed miserably the first time? God gave him a message and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against their wickedness. And Jonah said, no, I'm going the opposite direction. Got in a boat and tried to run from God. God sent a storm until the, the men on the boats, the sailors, threw him over. And God prepared a fish to swallow Jonah alive for three days and three nights. And then vomited him up on dry land because he was so rebellious and so stubborn. He failed. But God is giving him another opportunity 
And you can look throughout Scripture and see Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. And all of a sudden, in the third time, Jesus caught his eyes. And Peter just broke down and wept because he realized he did what he told Jesus he wasn't going to do. And he failed. King David, Abraham, all these men and women in Scripture had a moment where they failed, but God gave them a second chance. And I'm so thankful that God gives us second chances. He gives us second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances, sometimes even a hundred. Now, we don't do that. We don't give in to sin knowing that God's going to forgive us. That's not the idea here. But the idea is that we mess up and God extends His grace and His mercy to us. And if we have failed, we just need to confess it, repent, and follow the Lord. Because God delights in giving us a second chance. In verse 2, we see the second thing, which is an old but new message given. And he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Once again, he's told to go to Nineveh. This shows us how important this city was to God. God cared about this wicked city. He cares about every city. But did you see the the difference here? Go back to chapter 1. Flip over one page and look at chapter 1, verse 2. It says, this is the first time God appeared to Jonah and gave him a message. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And this one says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So the first part is the same, but the second part is different. It's changed here. He says, preach to them the message that I tell you. It's possible that Jonah didn't have all the details. He didn't know what he was going to go preach, yet he was told to go anyways. I don't know about you, I like having all the details. Do you guys like knowing all the details? You guys just like being in the know? I hate when things are hidden from me. But God doesn't have to share with us. He calls us to trust Him in that process. And that was, that's what He was calling Jonah to do. And so in verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah did not hesitate, but he gets up at once and goes. Jonah's finally obedient. Remember the first time he was disobedient? And now he does not hesitate. He takes off. And many people believe where the fish vomited Jonah back onto dry land was near the city of Joppa. And if that is true, then Jonah had about 500 miles to walk. What's the furthest you guys have walked before? 10 miles? Maybe you guys ran like five miles or something like that? See, Jonah had to walk 500 miles. Now, maybe you guys don't kind of understand that. Here's a little uh, demonstration. The church, from the church to Sacramento, California, is 460 miles on foot and in a car. It doesn't change. (laughs) But on foot, it would take about 152 hours walking 
there. But now Nineveh actually would be 40 miles past that, making it 500 miles. And so that would not only take one week, because that's, that's one week straight through, possibly. And so Jonah probably took two weeks to get to Nineveh. Yes? Nah, that's different. A bike's easier. I, I prefer biking than walking. If I had to bike this, that'd be fine. If I had to walk that, that would be another story. And so he takes off and for two weeks, possibly, travels east to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city and a three-day journey in extent. Now, this does not just refer to the city, but the suburbs, the area around the city was three days. And that's what people would do. They would make their house near the city in case an army or somebody else was coming so that they, wait, they can flee into the city and be safe from their enemies. And so the area around Nineveh was about three-day journey. And in verse 4, we see that Jonah began to enter that city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet for forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I want you to picture something. Put yourself in one of the Ninevites' shoes. Maybe your home is on the outskirts of that three miles. Maybe you're like halfway in. Maybe you're like in the inner city. And all of a sudden, you see this man walking up towards you. Now, this is not just an ordinary man. He's been in the stomach of a fish or possibly a sperm whale for three days and three nights. The stomach of a sperm whale got up to 104 or up to 108 degrees inside. It was extremely hot the stomach acid eating away at his skin. His hair probably has fallen out or pieces of it. His skin bleached white from the stomach acid, possibly having boils. And I looked up on Google, how long does it take to, for skin to heal? If you get a sunburn, and depending how bad the sunburn is, it's about two weeks. I got sunburned a couple weeks ago and I just started peeling. It was about like two weeks. And so Jonah just got out of the belly of a fish. His skin is gross. Possibly it could have been infected, and so it could have been like pussing and gross. It could have been slightly being healed. Some of his skin might have been even falling off because it was healing. He almost looked like the walking dead, okay? Like a, a zombie coming into the city. Now, if you saw this dude bleach white, half his hair falling out with patches, some sort of his skin wrinkly, oozing, possibly even bleeding. Now, did he take a shower beforehand? We don't know. Did he change? I don't know. But I can speculate that his body and his skin was still severely messed up. And all of a sudden, he comes into the city, and you see him, and everyone's like, he grabs everyone's attention. And all of a sudden says, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah is a living example of divine judgment here. He is a symbol of somebody that disobeys God and what happens. And so when he's saying this, he's grabbing people's attention. Now notice the message. The message that he preaches. It wasn't impressive. 
It wasn't intellectual. It wasn't eloquent. And it wasn't lengthy either. In fact, the English has, it was only eight words. But in the Hebrew, it's shorter than that. It's five words. A five-word message. He goes through the city proclaiming this message. But it was a message directly from God. This is the message that God wanted Jonah to preach. And Jonah preached it. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out in his message. Number one, the first thing, is 40 days. When you're reading through scripture, numbers sometimes mean things. Not all the time, but sometimes. For example, the number seven. Does anybody know what that means in scripture? What took seven days? The days of completion. God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. And so the number seven is the number of completion or perfection. Later on in the book of Revelation, you have the seven years of the tribulation, which is God's completion of his wrath being poured out. There's other numbers also that mean uh, different things. Now, not every number in Scripture means something, okay? So if you see a number one, oh, what does that mean? It could mean nothing. <laughs> and some people even take, you see how there's uh, the verse numbers and the chapters in your Bible? Some people will even use that and try to say there's a hidden message in there. And some people will say, oh, if you count those numbers and add them all up and do something uh, a little different like that, you actually can see in America's history that the two towers are going to fall. And you're just like, you're insane. <laughs> you cannot get that from these numbers. And so these numbers of chapters and verses are actually put in by man. They are not inspired, and some of them are even wrong. Okay? The numbers in the chapters. But there are some numbers that mean things. Like, for instance, 40 days. 40 is the number of judgment. Judgment. 39 is the number of mercy because Jesus was whipped 39 times, a son of mercy. 40 would be judgment. And so 40 days in judgment was coming. And then he says, they will be overthrown. The word overthrown means to be demolished or destroyed. It's the same word used when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you guys remember that story in Genesis? The way God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he burned it with fire. Archaeologists believe they've actually uncovered that site, and they have found a thin layer of glass around everything. It's almost like God snapped his fingers and a nuclear bomb went off because they actually uh, threw a bomb off in, uh, I think, like Nevada or somewhere, and it actually created a sea of glass because the fire heated up the sand so hot. And that's how possibly God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So hot that it melted and made the sand turn into glass. And he goes, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. Now, you might think that's kind of harsh. <laughs> but the gospel has good news. In order to have good news, you have to have, there's also has to be bad news. The bad news is we are doomed and destined to go to hell. Now, hell was not designed for us. 
but that's where everyone's going if we do not choose to follow and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the good news. But notice what's missing here. Good news. There's no good news. There's no hope. Jonah doesn't offer them hope. He doesn't say, hey, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. He goes, no, you guys are going to die. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. So what do the people do? What would you do? You saw this zombie-looking dude coming and preaching a message like this. Would you just point and laugh? Like, what a loser. (laughs) Would you take it to heart? See, the people of Nineveh all of a sudden heard these words, and it pierced them to the core, the deepest part of their being. And all of a sudden, there was this stirring in the city and around the city. Deep down within their hearts, everyone was being stirred up by the words he was preaching. And in verses 5 through 9, we see their response. In verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covering himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry out mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turn from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would not, or that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So Jonah comes in and delivers this message, and the people are stirred up, and they believe in God. See, when God says something, he actually means it in his word. And these people realized that they were going to be destroyed. They put their faith in God. They put their faith in this message. They believed the Lord. And that's where it starts. It kind of starts with a message first, and then faith can be stirred up. See, that's what Romans chapter 10, verses 17 says. So, then faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. The way faith is stirred up is by God's word going forth. And the Holy Spirit uses that within the hearts and minds of people to stir them up. And all of a sudden, they have faith. See, I think it's kind of interesting. We don't even have faith. According to Scripture, the faith that we have to trust in God for salvation is first given to us by God through His word. He gives us the faith to believe in Him. And that's what he did with the people here in Nineveh. 
John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Every single person has the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. People say, for Christians, this is as close as we're going to get to hell, this earth. But for non-Christians, this is as close as they're going to get to heaven. Think about that. Does this life feel like heaven with everything that's going on right now? I don't think so. God says, those who believe in my word, hear it and believe in it, the one who sent me will have everlasting life. You will be saved and you will pass from death into life. Do you believe in the Lord? Do you genuinely believe what his word says and the things that we teach here? It's even different for me. It's, it's one thing for me to teach it. It's another thing for me to live it out because I believe in it. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back anytime? The rapture can take place now, tomorrow, next week, a year from now. He can come back at any time and take his church home to be with him. Do we believe that our friends and family members might go to hell because they don't know Jesus? See, faith turns into action. And that's what we see. They took action. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. These two things were ancient demonstration of mourning. They started mourning for their wickedness. I'm not sure if you've ever cried for something that you've ever done before. <laughs> Maybe you were a little kid and you got in trouble and your mom like, Mom, Dad, no, please don't. Um, but they mourn for their wicked acts. See, we see faith first, and then we see works also. They first believed, then they responded. Faith always precedes works. Faith always precedes works. See, James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So if we say we believe God, but there's no evidence in our life that reflects that, that we genuinely believe his word, then our faith is dead. It's powerless. That's what James is saying. Does our faith just go beyond what we say or what we think into our actions and change the way we live? There is no true belief without the corresponding action. When someone hears the word of God and believes it and responds, they get saved. Did you know anytime someone gets saved, that's a miracle? Anytime someone raises their hand to accept Jesus Christ, who go forward at an altar call, who privately pray in their room to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior is a miracle because we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can. 
And so every time someone gives their life to the Lord, a miracle takes place. Now, what would you call a completely evil and wicked city? Every man, every woman getting saved. Wouldn't that be one of the greatest miracles ever? Now, I want your opinion. What do you think is the worst city in the United States? Who said LA? <laughs> I hate driving into LA. <laughs> okay. You think it's LA? Does anybody have a different opinion? What is the worst city in the United States? No? Anybody? Illinois? Who's, is that really bad? I've never been to Illinois. <laughs> I agree with myself. You agree with yourself? <laughs> Nobody else has a thought or an opinion? Someone in first service said uh, Michigan. Someone said, uh, not Colorado. What's the other one with the C? Anyways, someone said New York. Who said Las Vegas? Las Vegas. Would you guys agree that Las Vegas is a pretty bad place? Some of us go on their vacation there, right? And there's some incredible structures in Las Vegas. But if you think about what makes Las Vegas, Las Vegas, gambling, people are losing their money, the alcohol, uh, the prostitution, all that takes place in Las Vegas. You might not only, you might not see it because you might, uh, are younger and sometimes you don't see that stuff until you're a little bit older, but there's so much wickedness it's called the city of sin, right? That's one of its names. It's a wicked place. Now imagine if all of a sudden someone like Jonah went through the streets of Las Vegas and started preaching a message like this. All of a sudden, all the casinos started to close down. All the bars started to shut. And everyone started repenting and mourning over their sin. And they weren't going to open back up again. Wouldn't you say that is incredible? Because people tell us old dogs can't learn new tricks, right? Have you heard that saying before? People say people don't change. You're right, people do not change unless they encounter the unchanging God. Once you encounter God and you get a glimpse of Him, you hear His message, all of a sudden this thing starts to stir inside of you. This faith, this hope. It's the Holy Spirit working. See, it says from the greatest to the least of them. The greatest miracle is actually the greatest revival in history. And a revival is where God pours out His Spirit and people are uh, convicted, they're converted, they're transformed, they give up their old sinful pleasures in a heartbeat sometimes other over a period of time. And it doesn't only affect the church. It doesn't only affect Christians, but it affects those in power and those that have no power. It affects the rich and it affects the poor. A revival, when it's poured out, it affects everybody. And that's what we see here. Pastor David's talked about the Jesus movement. A revival that took place in his days when the hippies were strung out on drugs. And it hit everybody. It hit drug addicts. It hit homeless people. It hit the people in the church. It hit businessmen and women. Everybody. And that's what takes place here. Everyone is affected. 
The king hears about it. He throws off his robe and puts on sackcloth also and proclaims throughout the, the nation or their city a decree. And in verse 8, he says, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry out to God. Let every one turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. See, if you remember when we were looking at uh, Jonah chapter 1, we talked about the Ninevites and how wicked they were. When they conquered a city, they were so evil, so mentally messed up. The things that they would do to their enemies are just unspeakable. And yet, this decree goes out, let everyone turn from his evil ways. In other words, they repented. That word repent is you're going in one direction and then you completely turn around and go in the opposite direction. One moment, they weren't even thinking about their sin. They were violent people. And all of a sudden, the next moment, they're turning and forsaking it. This word repent was the first word of the message of John the Baptist. He went out to everybody saying, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus went out and said, hey, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, during Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, and people heard their languages being spoke, went and delivered a message that was from the Lord, pierced their hearts, and 3,000 people got saved in that moment. Here, a whole entire city gets saved. You want to know the amount of numbers, the people that were in the city? Look at chapter 4, verse 11. It says, In which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. More than 120,000. That's a lot of people. Now it says they can't discern between their right hand and their left hand. Are they just that dumb <laughs> and they can't tell which one's which? Some people believe it could be infants or babies or kids that do not know the right hand from their left hand. And if that is so, imagine the adults also. That's a lot of people that get saved. And you can't get saved without repentance. You have to hear the word. You got to believe in God's word. You got to act upon it and you got to repent from your lifestyle. You can't have Jesus and hold on to Jesus and hold on to your sin. It doesn't work. If you try, you will be miserable. You have to hold on to Jesus and let go of the sin. Now, sometimes it's a process. You're not going to get complete victory in just one single moment. It'll take time. And God will give you the strength and the power to say no to sin and yes to Him. And so repentance is a huge part of the gospel to turn from our wicked ways. And God gives us the power to do that through His Spirit. Now, my question is, how did they respond so fast? These people were evil. How or why did they respond so instantly to this message? There's a couple things. Number one, I think it was Jonah's appearance that caused them to believe it. His being a symbol or a sign of divine judgment caused them to believe. And it's my personal opinion, and this is not biblical, that if Jonah went the first time, 
the people of Nineveh might have not repented. But because of possibly his appearance, him disobeying the Lord, that they were saved. But there's other reasons also. Uh, another reason is immediate danger was threatening them during this time. There was the mountain tribes that were coming down and were threatening to destroy them. They were invading some of their territory. And so they were concerned about them. Also, during this period, they believed that there was a solar eclipse taking place, which kind of concerned and freaked people out. But I think the main reason why they repented is because Jonah preached the message God told him to preach. Jonah was obedient to that message, and they repented. And so, Nineveh, this Gentile, wicked people, was sent uh, one messenger with one message, and they believed and turned from their wicked ways. Now, you contrast with the people of Israel. Israel was sent multiple messengers, multiple prophets. You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets. All these men had messages, multiple messages. And what did Israel do? They did not believe and they did not repent. And it just goes to show you, just because you think going to church and doing the Christian's things that you're right with God is a dangerous place to be. The children of Israel thought, oh, we're God's chosen people. We're special. Not the case. What matters is us listening, believing, turning, and repenting. And in verse 9 it says, Who can tell if God will turn and relent, turn from his fierce anger, that we may not perish? See, this Gentile king expressed more concern and compassion for the possibility of the loss of life for his city than Jonah did. The king was more concerned about everybody in his city than Jonah was. And in verse 10 it says that God saw their work and turned from their wicked way. And God relented from disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not. God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil way. And listen, it wasn't just for a moment. It wasn't just for 40 days. The people of Nineveh did not repent, and after 40 days, they're like, oh, no, destruction's coming. Cool, let's go back to our old life. It wasn't like that. It was a genuine repentance. It was a change and transformation. They forsook their evil lifestyle, and God relented. Now, depending on what translation you guys have in your Bibles, that word in verse 10, mine reads relented. If you have a different translation, yours can read that God repented. And that is not correct. Can God repent? Does God actually do wickedness where he has to repent and turn from wickedness? No, because God, that means that God isn't perfect. That, it, that means God isn't who he says he is. So the word repent is actually not a good translation there. Because God did not repent and he does not need to repent. Because his way is perfect and he is perfect. There is no darkness in him, only light. Only light. 
I think it's better translated relent, and that kind of means to abandon a harsh or cruel treatment. See, nearly every message of judgment that came to God's people in the surrounding nations was conditional. There was terms to it. And Jonah knew this. And that's why in chapter 4, verse 2, he kind of gets upset at God. And we'll look at that next week. And this principle is illustrated throughout Scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, it says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. In every message that God gave to all the surrounding nations of destruction and doom, He gave a chance to repent because God is long-suffering. God is patient. You know, the people, when God led the children of Israel into the promised land and they destroyed Jericho and many other cities, people say, how could God, a loving, gracious God, command the destruction of a whole entire city with men, women, and children in it? Well, you, if you know your Bibles, which I didn't know this until I actually researched it later on, is God waited over 400 years, I would say even 500 years to destroy them. Back in Genesis, he says that time has not come yet to destroy them. Has not been fulfilled. He was patient and he's willing that all would get saved. Look at what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, as some think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. So God has a heart and desire that everyone will repent, but he understands it's up to us if we want to choose to. Follow the Lord or not. The city that God promised to destroy, the wicked city of Nineveh, notice this, ceased to exist after the preaching of Jonah. It stopped existing. That wicked city that God said, I'm going to destroy, as soon as Jonah went through that city preaching, it completely stopped being wicked. Now, how did that take place? What in the world? That is the same thing that takes place for us as believers. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our past self ceases to exist. That's what Romans 6, chapter 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That means he's dead. He's done away with. He doesn't exist anymore. Me, the old Josh, before I got saved, is done away with. I'm a new creation in Christ. And see, Nineveh, which was threatened by God to be destroyed, actually passed away, that city, becoming a completely new city transformed a new kind of creation and the same thing can take place for us god desires that all things become new the old has passed away and behold he makes all things new and so in this chapter we see 
people bent on sin being changed from the inside out. Possibly people that were drunks no longer drink. People that lie no longer lying. And it's not that they no longer do these sins. They believe in God. They look to the Lord. And we see that it started with the preaching of God's Word. Then the listening and the hearing of God's Word. Believing God's Word. Taking action and acting upon it. And repenting. See, our God is still in the business of saving and transforming lives. I believe that. I hope that you do too. He is not only willing and he has a desire to see people saved, but he has the ability to. If every single person in time and space accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Jesus' sacrifice would be sufficient. It would be enough to cover everyone's sin. That's the truth. See, he is calling all people to come and repent and be saved. I'm going to end with this one last verse. And it's found in Isaiah. Chapter 45, verse 22. And it says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am the Lord, or I am God, and there is no other. I love that. Because there's a story behind this verse. See, in England many years ago, the pastor, I believe, uh, went on vacation somewhere and somebody stepped into that pulpit to preach a message. And he taught on this specific verse. He said, look to the Lord and be saved. Anybody can do that, right? Anybody can look. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have power or riches to look. Anybody can look. A child, when you say, hey, look, they'll look. Anybody can look. From young to old. And as this preacher was delivering this message, this guy wasn't an eloquent man. He was actually a bad reader and just was an average guy. But the young man that was sitting in the back, underneath the uh, seating above, this young man was listening. And all of a sudden, the, t- the preacher went to this young man and he goes, you look miserable. You just need to look to the Lord and be saved. And he put his faith in Jesus Christ that day. That young man would actually grow up to be Charles Spurgeon. And for those that don't know, Charles Spurgeon actually became the most well-known preacher out there. People quote him constantly. And he was used by God in a mighty and powerful way. And it was just simple. The simple truth of the gospel. Look to the Lord and be saved. It's simple. Don't complicate it. You don't have to do all these works in order to get saved. You just have to look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look at His hands. Look at what He's done for you. Look at His love. Look at His grace. And put your faith in Him. And you shall be saved. And all of a sudden, as you abide in Christ, your actions will change. Your mindset will change. Your speech will change. If you're known for cussing and you struggle with that, God can even change that. 
There is nothing God cannot change. He's in the business of changing and transforming and saving people from the inside out and desires to do that with all of us.